Welcome to your favorite comic book YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rogg. We got a good one today, man. It's been a long time coming, but uh, we got to let you guys know that we are a daily YouTube channel. So we put new videos out all the time. And uh, at this point, we have over 1300 videos in our library. So it's a possibility that we talked about your favorite comics already. You dig our commentary, go back, check some of that stuff out. There's a search box next to the uh, magnifying glass on uh, the front page of our YouTube channel. If we uh, haven't covered your favorite comics, make sure you put something in the comments so that we know uh, to, to put that higher up on our uh, to-read list. We have a Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon uh, where the King Kayfabers have access to the cheapest copies on the aftermarkets uh, of the things that we talk about because they get the videos before anybody else. They're hanging out with us in the uh, Kayfabe chat room that is private, exclusive to them. Uh, I could bet you that the book that we're going to cover today is going to be uh, Kayfabe affected for sure. And uh, the we are going to be doing our last uh, public appearance this year at Baltimore Comic Con, September 8th, 9th, 10th is going to be uh, the convention, and we hope to see you there rocking your kayfabe merchandise. Without further ado, man, Raw Magazine, number three. We, uh, cut, we have covered the first two issues of Raw, but I don't think we talked about Raw for about two years, maybe, and I do have the complete set. That's so, such a collector show off move. It's a great collection. It's why the channel exists, man. And <laughs> uh, I doubt that there will ever be a reprint. It's unwieldy. Uh, do we have any comic books here? Yes, we do have comic books here. This is your standard comic. Raw's much bigger. Uh, you're dealing with European cartoonists. You're dealing with Japanese cartoonists sometimes. You're dealing with uh, cartoonists who have passed on. So the rights would be a nightmare to kind of get everybody on the same page to do any kind of reprint. But in terms of avant-garde comic making, this is such a crucial publication that we uh, would be remiss not to share every page here on the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Yeah, it's so different than everything that was being done in comics at the time, especially in American comics. Like this is your early to mid 80s that, the, that Raw is being published. And you can see with the demonstration of the comic book size, you are going to find this on the spinner rack. You weren't going to find it with comics. I this don't, was like an art project. I don't know that very many of these copies escaped New York. Right. And I don't say that for any reason other than like, this is kind of like high fashion. You can imagine like the New York intelligentsia jerking off all over this thing, all over Jimbo's face here. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm imagining right <laughs> because, now. Because, <Ed>. uh, <laughs> you know, like, sure, I'm sure Bud Plant bought a grip to to distribute around man and i'm sure jeppy got plenty in his coffers but i don't know that the comic shops across the country you know on any place other than the coasts would really fuck with this all that much it's 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 very far afield of a marvel or dc comic and we're you know we'll, we'll launch right into things and and uh i think it might be 1981 yeah it's it's earlier than I always expect. Yeah, it's 1981. 1981 uh, is shocking. This, I did not think it was that early. Totally. This is, uh, before we get too deep, this is a Gary Panther cover. He was doing things for like Slash Magazine before that established the Jimbo character there. But one of the things that you gotta pay, you gotta know, man, is that 
they were doing all the technical stuff themselves. So it could be Francois who was color cutting the color separations here. Uh, they were handling that part themselves. They're printing it on their own press. Yeah, like it, it, at one point it, it changes because there's like a guy who does the covers. And if you watch Co Comic Book Confidential, you'll see the presses that it's not in a loft. It's like yeah. an actual print house. The other thing to note with this is it's bigger. It says magazine, but it's bigger than magazine size. So when we right. talk about like comic shops being mad if your stuff's not comic book size, yeah. well, maybe magazine size. When you get to this, this doesn't fit anywhere. Right. This is close. Like, uh, this is uh, akin to, like, uh, Warhol's interview magazine yep. size. In fact, that, that was a scam. Like, they wanted it to be right next to that because that, that's sort of how, how they saw it. And as we crack things open right away, see, design and color on that front cover, FM and AS. That's Francois Mouly, who is now the, uh, you know, the, the art director at uh, New Yorker magazine. And AS will, will be uh, Art Spiegelman. Uh, even the graphic design choice of making this table of contents page askew, this is not done by computer work. Like, this is practical effects, and that was a choice that they had to make, and it is a sharp aesthetic option. Even this is kind of cutting edge. It definitely is. I look at a lot of, like, uh, 70s and 80s magazine design because I like that stuff, and there is a certain sameness because of the limited tools and what you could do. This is pretty good. This is something that stands out to me. With everything that I said earlier, I could be wrong at this stage, man. With uh, Raw Number 3, European distributors, they at least have some. Titan is distributing stuff. American distribution, contact Raw Books, coming straight from the loft? Francois and, uh, and Art packing boxes? You know what? He's probably getting some fucking uh, SVA kick. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Karasik is... Student uh, interns are packing boxes. Paul, Paul Karasik is, is putting his finger down <laughs> while Drew Friedman is tying the knot. I love it. <laughs> uh, we'll go through all this stuff, man. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, certainly with this page, and there's another, there's another artist or two. Uh, what's cool is it, it gives geography of a lot of the the cartoonists right here of like where they're kind of coming from because this is this is worldwide man um but the aesthetics of some of this artwork typically typically the european stuff it'll be the aesthetics of what you know to be like american animation in like the 90s it's so far ahead of its time for what it looks like here in 1981 i was reading a couple of those like the the one or two line at you know, like yeah. bio where someone's from and it'll be like poster artist. You know, like they, they were, they're pulling from a lot of different sources with like styles that may be comic reference, but maybe not a cartoonist per se. Yeah. So, you know, very forward thinking in terms of all the graphic imagery that's going into this. Look at this Jimbo strip, dude. And it's like, how many different tools are being used here? Cause like this art looks like different than this art. Is this stuff pasted up? Is that why it's so rigid and cut up and stuff? I like uh, a lot of the Fort Thunder guys and like Brian Chippendale and I'm looking up here at like white paint making all these dots and I can see Chippendale in that sky. Totally. Totally. This is a Jimbo culturally appropriating, like quite literally, like it, at one point admitting that he's not of Native American descent. But what is interesting of the aesthetic is that uh, his, at the time, Gary Panther's wife was uh, the manager for the band The Germs. And Darby Crash, the main singer, 
kind of adopted a kind of Native American aesthetic. He had his hair in this kind of thing, and he had the Mohican haircut and stuff like it. So I wonder if he's making fun of those guys or what what's going on? Look at this, like using cartoon iconography. As a cave painting, you yeah. know, like that's that's what he's suggesting that, you know, cartooning is go, goes back all, you know, that far. Even though it's not in the dialogue, it's just kind of like what you're getting. And then this is the actual cave painting, uh, you know, comic. It would always blow my mind when I learned Gary Panter was involved with Pee Wee Herman, Pee right. Playhouse. And uh, it still kind of blows my mind. Totally. You know, like his stuff just feels so outrageous that the idea that it would be on network Saturday morning television. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. You know, one, it, one of the few graphic artists that really defined the look of that show. He's the, uh, he's like the raw imagination guy, no pun intended with the title of this magazine, but then you have like Wayne white mm -hmm. and like another dude or two to, to kind of soften it, to make it possible. So like when you see that little redheaded fuck post the, you know, that like one little puppet, you see Jimbo in it. You really do. And there's early graphic design stuff. Uh, for licensed materials, where you see the Gary Panther all over it, you know, yeah, because it's because it's, it's drawn. Man, I used to follow him on Instagram, and he was pretty active. I haven't seen anything for a while, but uh, you he, know, he's a guy you might be able to track down and, and see a lot of his work he, or, or he, writing. Yeah, he posts stuff, but uh, dude, if you ain't up on things, like you, sometimes you have to proactively look because the algorithm will fuck you and just give you like ten yeah. people. This episode is brought to you by the Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon. We put out videos every single day and have more than a thousand of them. So make sure that you search through our channel and see if we talked about the, the comics and the magazines that you like. But the Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon is there for our biggest supporters and it mitigates the Kayfabe effect, which gives uh, the major supporters uh, early access to our videos so that they can make uh, smart buying decisions before uh, the videos hit Gen Pop. Ultimately, the vids are brought to you by the books that we make, and the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus is coming to you this holiday season. 504 pages of material with 150 pages that haven't been in the, published in those first uh, four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree. There's going to be the X-Men Grand Design Trilogy trade paperback coming to you from Marvel that's going to include uh, my the out-of-print treasury editions of X-Men Grand Design uh, that that. Uh, are out there. Uh, Red Room Crypto Killers is my latest comic that is coming out. The fourth issue is coming out within a couple of weeks as of this recording. Uh, the third issue is important for you to have because I'm serializing a daily strip and the first appearance of those characters is this backup feature in uh, issue three. Jimmy has Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive out in the wild right now. It's received a reprint, uh, but that doesn't mean that there's infinite copies, so make sure you get your hands on that ASAP. Another book that is out of print, but Jimmy had promises to put it back in print, is True Crime Funnies. Uh, three stories in this sucker, man, ranging from color to black and white. Plain Janes is a comic that he drew that is considered to be the first young adult graphic novel. Hulk Grand Design is out there right now. It is sold out uh, at the distribution level, which means if your store doesn't have it, they might not be able to get it. So you might have to go to, to, to Amazon if you want a copy. And why would you not want a copy of this thing? And forthcoming is Street Angel Princess of Poverty, which is the companion piece to Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive. Uh, it should be out in time for the holidays. Like, let's cover up that May 2023. Not Jim's fault, Image's fault. Uh, now that we are done paying the bills, let's get back to the video. We have some uh, collage material by Millet, but uh, to me, to me, the real, the real uh, 
sort of outstanding strip in in uh this issue is by uh Munoz and Sampaio I believe it's a Joe's bar strip it's called uh, Mr. Wilcox Mr. Conrad and uh very quickly you realize like it's you it's very interesting because you get the impression that it's a, a hitman gig but then as things go by our the guy that you think is a hitman becomes friends with the what might be the victim because it's all the tropes of like looking at photos of our guy and then meeting our guy mm-hmm. and being in the same spot and kind of paying attention they become quite chummy and you know trade trade stamps or something like i when you have a translated work it's from a different country and it's a different culture even though it's supposed to take place in new york uh in the front piece they mentioned that Sampaio and Munoz have never been to New York even though the story takes place there so there's cultural stuff that you just don't get plus it's this very early days of translation so uh the translation might not be all there uh Munoz this art you can see big influence on Frank Miller absolutely we did a uh video you could search for it it's uh there would be no Sin City without a lack A-L-A-C-K Sinner Right. is the video where we look through two uh, volumes of Alack Center that uh, IDW put out. Very two, nice Two big too. phone book size collections. Very Th- flattering. A thousand pages. Yeah, nice art. Um, I mentioned that. 1981 is interesting because like it's 1986, I think, whenever Fanographic starts publishing Sinner. Yeah. So like a lot of time goes by sure. you know, before we get another big dose of this. Um, Keith Giffen really uh, raked over the coals by the Comics Journal for copying panels from Munoz. Straight up, straight up. And uh, look at the effervescence of the artwork. Uh, you you don't mistake one character for another. Not at all, the character design's extraordinary. Very uh, unselfconscious when it comes to the line work, you know, just, just like allowing for very clear mark making, you know, because there there is such a our mainstream comics in America are such corporate products that that extends to the artwork where it's clean, it's about cleanliness, it's about getting all the lines right, it's about polish, and almost divorcing yourself from being hand-done. It's almost like they want it to look like it was uh, stamped out by a machine. Yeah, absolutely, because then if, if you... Remove if you, the uh, artist? Well, if you complain a little bit, I'll just bring in another guy that draws like you. Exactly. So... You know, this is a different idiom of, of comics making and, and uh, allowing the artist's hand to be visible is not a problem. I got hold of one of those Sinner magazines pretty early in my reading, like a, like a flea market find. Right. And to me, it was black and white, kind of remind me of Frank Miller, picked it up. But it's a time when I'm looking at like Scott Williams' ink line right. as like, this is the apex of inking and control. And to see this kind of approach... It was so hard for me to process. You know, it was like one of those things that kind of shatters your ideas because I liked it, but I but it also freaked me out a little bit looking at it. There's some very cool comic stuff happening here when once you go into Joe's bar, presumably, where you have different levels of conversation happening, like foreground conversation, background conversation. So you have these two characters having their whole deal. That's really and then we neat. have our guys introducing themselves and becoming friends so there's this stuff happening in tandem i really like that it's I, really I, good i feel like i've mentioned it a couple of times today but this like foreground and creating depth is a is an effect i admire in comics and the way they're doing it here 
really interesting, even with the narration being almost like behind, like deeper. Yeah. In the panel. Yeah. It's 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 pretty sweet stuff, and you know when it happens that there's now some importance placed on these characters that you that you're kind of just being introduced to. Like it's it's rare that that would just be done for no reason, for just technique. There's these stamps that I was talking about. Yeah, it's strange. The character design stuff, I'm glad you noted that, because that's something to look at whenever you look at, at their work. Our guy's getting sloppier and sloppier drunk <laughs> to the point that he's just, he's completely out of it. And look at him, man, just like Hokan dudes. Our guys are taking a schwitz. Wild, bold shadows. Like, look at the shadows on that face. Just a pity face, man. It's like his face caught on fire and he tried to put it out with an ice pick. Oh, all these characters have that quality, like yeah. a lived-in kind of quality. Totally. And also, it's always in New York, so like, yo, Munoz, man, what you think about the New Yorkers, dude? <laughs> what do you, what do you, what, what do you, what are you saying? This is funny because it really looks like they're measuring cocks. Yeah. Like he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah not bad, there. not bad, man. Good stuff. <laughs> this is a story told in two parts. So our guys got chummy, and uh, now they're gonna go go hang out. But the one chick that was hanging out with uh, that that drunken guy, where there was a two conversations, uh, they're making she's making time with with the with, with the fellas here, so it'll continue on page thirty one. Uh, on this page here, it's a Francois Moly article, and it's uh, uh, it's health food talk. You know, it's like a, straight up straight up health food talk. It's about it's an article. You know, it's this is a magazine. This ain't a comic. That's fascinating. And this graphic, I think, is amazing. Sure. Like that top-down shot. When do you ever see that anywhere? Totally. And how do you do that? Like, uh, it, it, you know, is this a piece of found artwork? Uh, did Spiegelman draw that? Yes, yeah, it's some kind of collage. Is it a collage? Yeah, like, like uh, how's, how's it work, man? But uh, it's, you know, this is bougie Manhattan. And, and uh, they're just... It's one of those articles where you just feel bad about eating any of the bad stuff that you do. Yeah, interesting. I was just reading that last paragraph, and it's talking about a Mary Tyler Moore episode interrupted by uh, an ice cream commercial, and now she wants ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a whole piece talking about how, you know, f flour, once it became white flour, it has zero nutritious value. It doesn't do anything. That's so interesting, because it feels like that's a conversation that continues to be had today. Totally, and this is probably, like, early on in that, you know, I mean, it's always, you know, it's New York, L.A., that type of shit. Here's that Kierkegaard guy. Really interesting. I, I love that. The Schoolboy Assassin, I like this title a lot. And uh, for people at home, Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard is, uh, we see him in Heavy Metal Magazine. Yeah. He's also published by Catalan Communications later in the 80s. Would not have expected to see his work here in Raw Magazine. And that crossover between, like, the Heavy Metal artist and Raw much greater crossover than I realized. It speaks to the very few venues possible for cartooning that was anything but Marvel DC style artwork. Uh, Kierkegaard's work in heavy metal, you, you'll remember it as like when you see C-3PO in a bra or like Darth Vader in little heart, you know, little boxer shorts with hearts all over <laughs> them. He's that guy. So strange. And you could see the paste ups of the letter of the uh, mm -hmm. type typeset lettering here i do wonder when i see his work like exactly what media he's working on i stuff. i know because like the smoothness and all that stuff like is it is it could it possibly all be airbrushed but then it feels like there's it's too much i wonder if it's like photos and he's painting on top of actual photos a little bit yeah i, I just really don't, know. don't know this is another set of artwork that really feels like cutting edge 
90s animation style things that you might see in like liquid television you know a decade later after this uh Mariscal like was in the earlier right. raws that, that we were checking out what a page what a page yeah my goodness tipped in uh to these issues of raw starting with issue number two are uh the various chapters of mouse and uh you get the sense because like there's always a mouse in each one so it's like they don't put out the next issue until uncle yeah. Artie gets a fresh chapter done so that they could tip it in and this might be the piece that maybe this was public like printed in the in on their offsets and tipped in their themselves yeah very possibly uh which might explain the size being kind of odd sure you know, like that may be something that is a for you know like it wouldn't surprise me if this is a size that worked well in their press mm -hmm. and if you look that's a quarter of this page right so yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me a brilliant um i hate to say gimmick but mouse was getting critical acclaim especially as the series progressed and sure. it's, it's really uh interesting as a historical document that that's where this was serialized and how it was serialized totally man and probably with that first uh chapter that they got it got some heat for sure what's cool is it gives you a synopsis if you didn't get the last issue and it describes everything that you read and then i always love this stuff because because even during comic book confidential the video interview with spiegelman it's all still forward projecting it's going to be blah 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 not it is yeah so uh this is the second part of a projected 200 to 250 page work in progress future chapters will appear in raw on an occasional basis as they are completed and uh it is not occasional like it's every issue they basically hold off which makes sense because i mean this is a reliable feature in every issue after after two uh and everything else is kind of slapdashed you know they they basically print the best stuff that they get in in time for for the for the deadline there's a really neat feature i want to say it's in comic art magazine where they go sh through and they show some of uh, uh francois's notebooks mm -hmm. for these issues because she would like make mock-ups of the right. issues and it's just some of the most fabulous like when you think of like the making and the behind the scene and kind of an artist edition really cool stuff to see like how they would put together an issue of this stuff a little rick geary feature there's a cartoonist that's been around yeah and he's another guy that would show up in the national lampoon and show mm -hmm. up in the heavy metal of course and it's just the oddest comics ever like th like this is i i actually i really like like his comics one of my favorite comics ever is his uh orson wells war of the worlds comic that that was in uh heavy metal it's a real good one where it, like it plays the radio show it's like a four pager i've never seen this it's it, it's the radio show and it's everybody kind of going nuts and then he has to do his mia culpa and he does it on like you know a railing like a like a balcony at rko studios or, or wherever yeah. the, and he apologizes to everybody and they're there with like pitchforks ready to kill him and then they all drive off and they're like oh you know he's not not bad not bad and then what happens is antennas pop out <laughs> and then the rko building is a spaceship that flies away uh but this one it's it's like very matter of fact he's just drawing appliances and he's talking about uh things to do and not do if you're a waitress like just very and has done a ton of graphic novels yeah. of true crime mm -hmm. you'd think that those things at this point like reissue those put them in like a you know five or six of those stories in one because i think they're shorter they're like right. maybe square bound but not not huge 
feels like now, you know, there'd be a giant audience for that stuff. A little ahead of his time, maybe, with some of the work that he'd do. Yeah, yeah. But this is definitely very abstract for, for what he does. Makes you wonder if he's aiming for Raw. You know, like if I think everybody is. Them or somebody was like, hey, do you want to do a page? And then it's, you're trying to like, okay, what is Raw? Not do me? it right. Yeah. <laughs> Not do it like, uh, you know, Aristotle be damned. Uh, we're back to Sampaio and uh, Munoz. And this lady is the lady that was talking with that drunk fella in the bar. Turns out she's a hoe. Love her hair. And they paid her a couple of dollars. You got the blonde and the brunette, right? So these guys are going to sit there and fucking beat their dicks. Yeah. Sweating, watching them chicks. Sweaty brows. Watching them chicks get busy. But but, don't forget, man, that this girl, she has baggage in the form of this drunk fella. Do you recognize this image? This image is in understanding comics i don't yeah i don't remember whenever that. uh it might even be that page that nine panel grid where it shows all these different artists carl barks rob liefeld robert crumb munoz might be on that page and it's this image right here it's burnt into my brain look at how like warped this is you know it's such a it's not a beautiful woman it's not your femme fatale or not a classic approach to it like everything that they do has this filter of perversion yeah something distortion nightmare yeah yeah because like even look at the top down view of this guy like is that his nose or is that his nose yeah that's kind of a cool so thing. ultimately our dudes are like you know you got a little more baggage than than necessary for us to like be paying you your only fan subscription to, <laughs> to les do some lesbian shit for us so let's go downstairs and fuck this dude up see they're buds already man and they go down and they they mess up that uh, little boyfriend. This is a cool stroke, dude, where dude has like a black suit on mm -hmm. and there's a black background. So you just put the sort of white figures in front of that suit or behind it in this case. And uh, it, it sells the form of our foreground guy. Yeah, it's really strong black and white illustration. It gets abstract. I mean, he's kicking him in the head, and you can kind of tell, but you have to you have to watch it a little bit. You have to look at that and, and, and deconstruct it, let your brain do some work for a couple extra seconds. I think it's a pretty neat way to handle a fight scene. You know, like, we're so used to, like, the beautiful Frank Quitely choreographed, perfect space composition. Everything is exact. It's like a work of art. But really, like, a violent fight on the street like this, it's the opposite of that. But it's hard to draw that. Right. And it feel like they go for it. So our guys are getting drunk together. One's like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right, man. There was a little too much work with these broads. Uh, the guy who I believe is to be, you know, the guy in the pictures just fell asleep. Which is extra perverse. Now we're going back to Joe's bar. Look at our guy all bandaged <laughs> up, ready to go, man. And uh, the, the the fellas show up at the, at the same spot, but the dude ain't doing nothing. All these characters look so lived in. Totally. It's the same guy calling this chick a whore. Like, like they're, they're a couple. I really like how he draws her hair. Yeah. It feels like a thick amount of hair on the top of her head. And you recognize these lines even as like Frank Miller lines in a way. You know, like like when he's when he's really got that hairy nib thing happening. You know, that's established here. Do you remember seeing Miller talk about joe's bar or these these creators munoz yeah. fuck yeah definitely absolutely uh in in our um 
the the one that we did that you chose, man. The the, the comics interview about Ronin. He he. They call him Sampaio, like because oh, that's right. Because he, like the wrong because uh, the writer the credit for the art. Exactly, and and Klaus Jansen did that on our own shoot interview. He's like, yeah, yeah, me and Frank like we bonded over Sampaio, and it's like, well, you've bonded over Munoz, but like they were there, you know, like it's just a little bit of ignorance. So ultimately, here it is. It is a hitman situation. It just so happened that they. He liked the guy and they bonded and they became friends. It is an interesting choice that like when the guy was dead drunk sleeping, he could have offed him, but he waited for like this kind of moment uh, for no real reason, which adds to the coldness of our fella. Maybe, maybe Sam Pio and uh, Munoz, maybe they think that just how it goes down in the NYC. <laughs> Look at this artwork, dude. It feels so rich. It really does. And 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 I, you just you when you see something like this, you can't imagine that it's too penciled, you know, like a lot done in the ink stage. And then these cars just totally they're all so flat, but it it just it's so graphic. The profile of this car just a wreck, just a <laughs> pretty much trapezoid, huh? pretty much. You know, like those are straight lines that shouldn't work. <laughs> pretty much. And then here's another one of those crazy views, I guess, top down on the head. Right. Weird. Just wild. Very distorted fisheye lens kind of stuff. So Re there's an ad for Read Yourself Raw. It's No, not not quite yet. It, this is this is a term that they're using. Oh, gotcha. Uh, just let you know that we do have books, no subscriptions. We got a gang of breakdowns that you can uh, order. This would have been uh, the collection of Art Spiegelman strips from the underground days collected into a bigger book. I, I have a I have a reissue of this. This 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 would be yeah, worthy of an of episode. So you do have it? Mm -hmm. Okay, that that would be worthy of an episode. And this is definitely uh Art Spiegelman yep. artwork for you know, whatever this is. You know, sold an ad for a little store in town. This is another piece of art. Maybe it's some of those guys that we looked at before. Actually no, it's Juice Swart. Uh, but but it hmm. really rings. It it doesn't feel so swordish, right? But it <laughs> it to totally feels like the aesthetics of what animation becomes. Again, there are like these three examples in this in this book, like this these kind of curves, the shoulder pads, the the way they build the characters. Is that like what even is that? This is it's, it's sort of different than the strips, but uh, I really like it. But it's strange. It's you know, it, it doesn't have the treatment like with the artist name at the top. No, yeah. It's kind of a weird piece. Yeah, I think this is like, you know, like you build this part because you only have this much of yeah, Swartz's so. uh, work. Ben Catcher strip. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty wild one because there are, there are things about it that, that uh, it made it a kind of a tough read because of this part. Yeah, you know, like he's real kind of independent. Like, right. like it's a it's a little all over the place. He's a really, I, he's a cartoonist. I enjoy reading, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to me to see because he's another one of those guys who, like, man, a Ben Catcher strip today or a book, nobody else's stuff looks like his or reads like his. But I think to get there, you have to maybe do some stuff that doesn't everything doesn't work right, and you're working out this very original style and approach. And yeah. one's pretty early for him. He's built a great uh, sort of side hustle to use a gross term of, of uh doing public readings of his stuff and creating like the powerpoints that are like beautifully 
choreographed with his delivery. That makes sense it, to me. It erases the balloons and the balloons show up as needed. And it's so steeped in New York culture that like his voice is a part of it. Yeah. And, and, and his accent, his New York accent factors in. It's, it's, a, it's a, if he's ever at a book show or, or a fair or something that, that you're a part of, uh, do yourself a favor and, and make sure that you that you you see him do one of his comic readings because I fucking hate comic readings. I think it's the worst, and it's uh, and he's the one guy who can pull it off. We got a Charles Burns here. I don't I don't know what this is, but but you know it's it's these guys they're, they're pushing pushing comics. You know what's funny is I look at that and I think like oh yeah Chris Ware's gonna be along here shortly. Yeah, but he's not. It's gonna. He's gonna be in that second volume. But doesn't that feel Tothian? Yeah, it does. We do have Charles Burns. Uh, I believe maybe his first appearance. That's interesting too, because it's almost premature Charles Burns. Absolutely, man. Uh, it is 1981. We don't know him to use very much zipatones or anything like that. No. Uh, the lines. He's got a real a thinner line everywhere, on the hands, on the faces, and stuff. But it's still got the rigor. Like the, you don't see many human lines. No, uh, you even can with see the background motifs. Here. You know, comics within comics. I feel like is is part of uh, something that he'll do throughout his career. I like seeing the uh, mechanically set type. Yeah. Somehow, I think that complements his style. Yeah, this is great. Love seeing some early Charles Burns. Yeah, this will not be the last in this issue. We have uh, some more collage work. This is pretty interesting to me because Burns had messed around with this. I think yeah. a lot of artists may have played with this idea of like photo comics, photo collage, you know, maybe doing photos and then working on top of them a little bit in other media. And that stuff pops up. Taboo uh, reprints one of Charles Burns' pieces that I think was from the 70s. But I think a lot of artists were kind of like playing around with this. Yeah. And you and you would see this exact kind of stuff, maybe even the same creator in uh, Heavy Metal and mm -hmm. uh, National Lampoon. Do you know what's going on here? I didn't bother. I am confused. Yeah, I, I, I didn't what? bother. Capelli. That feels very animated. Totally, second by second, and it's all it's all it's all gags. But then we have uh, you know strip one of Dog Boy basically. Uh, Dog Boy will become a like one of the sort of first gen alternative comic strips you know post underground newspapers when the alternative papers start cropping up in every major metropolitan city uh they started to uh employ comics in into those pages and uh the charles burns matt graining with life and hell linda berry with uh, ernie pook's comique they were that's the trinity man of like the, the first crew that was really doing stuff. And we asked uh, Charles Burns at uh, at TCAF one year, man, he came up to the table and you know what year it was? It was right before that new Mad Max came out because he was talking about how we saw the first Mad Max and it blew his freaking mind. Uh, I asked him like, because we had the reprints of Dog Boy and stuff and that was what his strip was called. Even when it was serialized and other shit, I think it was still called Dog Boy like on the masthead or something. And uh, it was like, how did your stuff even work in those books? Because you get like a little block of space. Well, how did that work? And he said that like, I would just give him four panels. 
So I get like it, when you see the reprints, it's six panels. So, you know, a page and a half will, would would be the last tier of one page and the first part of another. It's so bizarre. I can't imagine reading it that way. But conversely, I love his art in a way that like the probably Dada like reading experience exactly, wouldn't yeah. hurt. Yeah, totally. Like like because I mean this even reads that way in in a certain fashion. Like if you just cut it off here, it would be a different statement. It would be this like pop culture iconography perversion of clip art kind of it's it's a whole different thing than like a cohesive narrative i wonder if he cut the color separations himself somebody did because these stripes are colored oh yeah they look at them fingernails imagine cutting those stripes out there is a part I, i'm no, so glad you said you. that i'm so glad you said that because there is a part in the comic confidential documentary when Art Spiegelman is looking over Francois's shoulder and they're talking <laughs> about stuff and Spiegelman's like, oh, that would be too hard. I, I don't know that I could cut that. And Francois is like, I could do it. So they put in that effort. That's a smart move on uh, on Spiegelman's part. Right. I can't, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he was a teacher at the School of Visual Arts at this point in time. He did poach the best kids in his class who weren't, you know, trying to, you know, do superhero comics or whatever for the pages of Raw Magazine. We're talking people like Drew Friedman. We're talking Kaz. We're talking Mark Newgarden and maybe a couple of others. Uh, he was a teacher there. And they had a budget for marketing. Yes, they did, man. So smart guy. It's a uh, it's not too far off from what, uh, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola School of uh, Filmmaking, where the first thing that you do when you get a job is you buy the camera and then you rent it, uh, you know, you, buy, you bill it to the the, uh, the studio. Or George Lucas, you create a uh, special effects company and then bill it to the studio, create a magazine, put an ad in there, bill it to the motherfucking school. That's interesting, too. Just thinking of how you make the business of these various ventures work. Right. And what can you borrow from like a filmmaker that's inventive and in how they do creative budgeting and building their own studios? Uh, there's probably some lessons there that could be applied to making comics. Yeah, man. So it's been a couple of years since we looked at uh, an issue of Raw Magazine. There are eight total of the first volume. I think there are three or four of the, of the second round. I, I don't have all of the second round. I have two, vo two I have issues. Two. Uh, so hopefully, like, uh, I have one and two, maybe. If you have three, then, then we're in business. We're in business that way. Uh, but because these are so hard to find, and these are $100 books, uh, if you're lucky, good fodder for the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. These are fantastic because of the influence that they have. You know, like, it really changed the conversation about comics. You know, when other forces were at work, too. Totally. Like, comics are expanding, but Raw definitely contributed significantly to that and and i think at the time it was maybe not as obvious because a lot of cartoonists i think never saw this but i think over time and the cartoonists that came out of raw really has have flourished in, in a way that is just broadened what comics are and i think a lot of it comes from raw for the individual independent cartoonist you had two poles uh for possible publication you had raw magazine which is the you know, avant-garde, far-out, artsy-fartsy shit. You had Weirdo, which was the gutter, crunchy, you know, vestige of the underground comics universe. Those were like the two options that you had. 
if you had a more slick aesthetic you might show up in heavy metal if you put antennas on a guy's head or something like this man but there were few options so uh this is this is definitely one of those avant-garde advancing the guard is that not what avant-garde means uh if you're good i'm good jimmy yes k fabers we put videos out on the daily and we looked at the first two issues of raw magazine on the channel you could go through the search box on the front of the cartoonist kayfabe channel and easily search through the 1300 plus videos that we have uh, on the channel to date make sure you like subscribe and follow the channel while you're at it hit the drop down menu and make sure that uh, you get notified whenever we put those new daily videos up we have a cartoonist kayfabe patreon to help mitigate the kayfabe effect if you're a king kayfaber you have access to the live stream that we are recording uh, right this very minute and you're able to get the cheapest copies of raw magazine number three before these videos go out live to uh, gen pop uh, so become a king kayfaber support the uh, channel that way and get the vids before anybody jimmy and i are going to be at baltimore comic-con uh september 8th 9th 10th it's going to be your last chance to see us in person in 2023 out in Baltimore. Make sure you rock your kayfabe gear when you come out and see us. But the videos are ultimately brought to you by the books that we make. Before You is a good sample of our bibliography, but we're always working. So, Jimmy, tell the people what the new shit is. True Crime Funnies, my latest self-published comic. Three nonfiction short stories in this one. Uh, I have sold out of the first printing, but more are on their way. Should be here in time for Baltimore. If you can't wait, you can download a PDF on my website, jimrug.com, or you can read it on patreon.com slash jimrug. Street Angel Deadly Squirrel Live, back from the printers from Image Comics. This collects eight complete stories of the uh, homeless ninja on a skateboard. These are my superhero comics. If you guys like superhero action, Street Angel is the book to look for. Uh, there's a new Street Angel coming out in November, Street Angel Princess of Poverty. This will collect all of the Street Angel comics that I've done that are not in Street Angel Deadly Squirrel Live, so you can start pre-ordering that one now to have a complete collection of Street Angel on your shelves. Um, Hulk Grand Design, Treasury Edition, love how this book turned out. Marvel, Marvel did a great job on the production, one of the most things I'm most proud of that I've made. However, I think it's sold out uh, at least at the distribution level, which means you can still find some copies in a good in a good comic shop, hopefully. Pick those up if you haven't, because it's going to get scarce. Once a book's out of print, who knows when you'll see it again at a reasonable price. And uh, my young adult graphic novel, The Plain Jane's, perfect for that daughter, niece, young adult reader in your life. This is a gift book for all the uh, viewers out there that are my age. You may want to buy this for someone a little younger in your life. Which I uh, I used to always try to do uh, comics and graphic novels as gifts. So hopefully, Plain Jane's is one of those perfect gifts for uh, for your upcoming holidays. Oh, it's no doubt, man. Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus is coming to you this holiday season, coming out in October, collecting all four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree that are out uh, right now, plus 150 pages of material that was never published in those first four volumes. So this is the cheapest omnibus that money can buy, and it also has more extras than any omnibus you would ever get your hands on with Marvel or DC, whatever, man. Uh, coming out in October, talk about gifts, man. The rap music fan in your life that doesn't know this exists, they're gonna be fucking mind blown by, the, by this book. There's gonna be an X-Men Grand Design Trilogy trade paperback. I need to go hit up Marvel to see if they got comp copies of that shit so that I can show it off on the channel. Uh, there are some out-of-print volumes of X-Men Grand Design, and uh, this will be an opportunity 
to have a handy dandy trade, trade paperback that has all of X-Men Grand design in there. Red Room is the current focus. There are two trade paperbacks of Red Room out there in the wild, Anti-Social Network and Trigger Warnings. Red Room Crypto Killers is my latest. Uh, it'll be four issues. That last issue is coming out uh, within the next couple of weeks, I believe. And this issue three of Crypto Killers is important because I uh, came up with a daily comic strip that I'm calling Switchblade Shorties. And the Latchkey Kids is the proto version of the Shorties. So this is the first appearance de facto of uh, these daily comic strip characters. It's going to be a hot key once uh, the inevitable book inevitable book collections and comics come out from uh, my my daily strip uh, which I am serializing on my Patreon. These are not the only ways to support the cartoonist kayfabe channel but they are the most important ways. There are some other things you can do and Jimmy will let you know. You can subscribe to the cartoonist kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find cartoonist kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, mugs, hats, stickers and more at our spread shop that link is also under this video all good ways to support the cartoonist kayfabe channel give them those marching orders jimmy and we'll be on our way read more comics